Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, posted July 31st, 2023, titled, Apologist Claims the Bible Doesn't Endorse Slavery? Oh, Really? Featuring Dr. Joshua Bowen. How are we to know God's moral commands? Well, we have a book. Well, if you read the book as a moral guidebook, does that mean we should condemn gay marriage and condone slavery? That's what it says we're supposed to do. I doubt anybody here would uh, condone slavery. Is that your experience, Dr. Josh? That no one on the internet would condone slavery? Oh, how I wish that were the case. Unfortunately, this has not been my experience, particularly of late. But this mentality is certainly the one that I had when I started talking about this topic on social media. My thought was, okay, I'll show them that the type of slavery that was endorsed in the laws of the Old Testament was actual slavery. And they will say, oh... Well, I need to rethink the way that I'm understanding the Bible. Instead, it is becoming more and more common for me to hear, oh, well, I guess slavery must be moral. If God's perfect law endorsed it, then maybe slavery in and of itself is not a bad thing to do. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. Today... We're looking at the video behind the video on biblical slavery that is our nearly 2 million views on YouTube alone. It all stems back to 2015 and a morality debate between skeptic Michael Shermer and Christian apologist Frank Turek. And to help us today, we are joined by the man who literally wrote the book, pretty much two books, on slavery in the Bible, Dr. Joshua Bowen from Digital Hammurabi. Yeah, good evening, folks. Uh, Dr. Josh here. I'm here to help. Now... As a Canadian, I found it somewhat odd that they spent so much of a morality debate instead talking about American politics. When Thomas Jefferson started the nation, he borrowed from John Locke, as you point out wisely in your book, who borrowed from Hooker, who ultimately got it from the Apostle Paul, because it's written on our hearts anyway. You don't need the Bible to know basic right and wrong. Everybody knows basic right and wrong already. In casual conversation, what most people mean by right is actions that will lead to outcomes they prefer. And wrong is actions that will lead to outcomes they do not prefer. So yeah, everyone has preferences, whether they've read the Bible or not. The question is, do the discussions found in the Bible actually align with the desired outcomes of human flourishing and reducing suffering? Okay, in the 16th, 17th, 18th, and throughout most of the 19th century, most Christians endorsed slavery. Today, none would. Wish that were true. So the arguments they made are just like yours. It's, it's objectively correct. It's right. It's good for blacks. It says so in the Bible. It's, uh, you know, and so on. They made all these arguments that nobody would make today. Something dramatic happened. Uh, why do you think slavery is wrong now? And, and, and why was it okay back, back two centuries ago? Why what, is, happened, what, that, what happened biblically or theologically or did God have a new revelation to somebody and say, you know what, that was a bad idea? 
Uh, yes. Not really a yes or no question, Frank. First of all, Old Testament slavery was not race-based for servitude. This is always such an odd thing for people to bring up to me in a discussion about slavery. Old Testament slavery wasn't race-based. Well, setting aside the complicated discussion that accompanies the concept of race, would it really be a win for Frank if the Old Testament endorsed slavery based on some other criterion? As it stands, there was a sharp distinction drawn in several passages between people based on whether they were Israelites or not. For example, in Leviticus 25, the law stated that it was no longer legal to take fellow Israelites as slaves. Instead, you had to treat them as hired workers. Conversely, if you wanted a proper slave, a chattel slave, you had to get them from the nations around Israel or from the tenant foreigners that were living in the land of Israel. These would become their property, kept for life and passed on as an inheritance. I don't think it's not race-based is the flex that Frank thinks it is. It was voluntary means of working off debt. What about this? I'm in a car accident. The motorist is uninsured. You with me? Yeah. My car is totaled. It's all his fault. Now, he has absolutely no money. There is no way that he could pay me. So the judge decrees that he becomes my butler. Your butler? Right. Or keeping captives from mustering a rebellion. Muster the Goombas! Yes, much of the slavery that was practiced in the ancient Near East, including in the laws of the Old Testament, was ultimately considered voluntary, at least from a legal standpoint. People would take out loans, for example, knowing that if they defaulted, they or their family members could be taken as debt slaves. But how does that play out? I mean, look at 2 Kings 4.1. Now a woman from the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, has died, and you know that your servant was one who feared Yahweh. Now the creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Yeah, she doesn't seem too excited about the voluntary slavery that her husband signed them up for. The other problem with what Frank says here is this idea that the slavery was to keep captive men from mustering a rebellion. Deuteronomy 20, 10-14 gives the rules for engaging in battle for the Israelites. When they attack cities that are far away from Israel, they're supposed to utterly destroy all the Canaanite cities, the Israelites are supposed to offer the foreign city a vassal treaty. If they accept, then that city would become their vassal and would be subject to corvée labor. However, if the city put up a fight, then all the men in that city would be killed, and the women, children, cattle, etc. would be taken as plunder. In other words, the fighting force would be killed, not taken captive, not prisoners of war. This idea that the slavery was to keep down future rebellions is simply not in the text. Secondly, slave trading is condemned in the Bible both in the Old and the New Testaments. The two passages that Frank cites here don't say what he needs them to say. Exodus 21.16 is a law condemning kidnapping free people and reducing them to slavery. This has nothing to do with the social institution of slavery or of purchasing slaves. Both were expressly endorsed in the Old Testament law. The New Testament passage that he appeals to, 1 Timothy 1, 9-10, doesn't do the job either. The Greek word that is used in verse 10, andropodestes, means someone who illegally acquires free people to sell them as slaves. Neither of these texts condemn in any way the social institution of slavery, nor does it condemn buying and selling slaves. 
Thirdly, the Bible teaches that all men are made in the image of God. Slave and master are equally human, protected in one in Christ. That's throughout both Old and New Testaments. That's a strange place for the crowd to go wild. Exactly what I thought when I heard it. And again, these three verses that Frank cites in support of his position don't do the work he needs them to do. In the first, Exodus 21, 20, the law stipulates that a master who beats his slaves so severely that they die immediately is to be punished severely, likely with death. This was likely a debt slave, and the law is consistent with other laws that we see in the ancient Near Eastern law collections. It certainly says nothing about the master being an equal or on equal footing with the slave before the law. In fact, in verses 26 to 27, a slave is not due lex talionis if the master damages or knocks out an eye or tooth of the slave. Instead, he is simply released of his debt and set free. And in verses 28 to 32, an ox that gores a free person results in the death of the master. But if that same ox gores a slave, the master only has to pay 30 shekels of silver. Certainly not equal in the eyes of the law. The second verse on the screen is Deuteronomy 23:15 which says that a runaway slave cannot be returned to his master. But this is about foreign slaves who escaped from foreign masters into Israel. It has nothing to do with equality. Really, the only verse that comes close to saying anything about equality is Job 31.15, where Job says that he has not mistreated his slaves, and God would call him to account if he were to do so. The text says that both he and the slave were formed by God in their mother's wombs. But the fact that Job is speaking about his slave and predicating his statements on his slave status tells us that this does not equate to Job thinking he should set his slave free. Finally, Frank cites the infamous Galatians 3.28. The verse says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female. Some pretty bold statements. But in what sense? Paul says, in Christ. This is a statement about everyone's position before God in Christ, not some statement about the social institution of slavery. Certainly, Frank would not want to say that this statement does away with the distinctions between slaves and free, as he would have to then do away with the social distinctions between males and females. Not likely. Fourthly, Jesus came to set the captives free. As with the Galatians 3.28 verse, this is Frank's attempt to interpret clear and precise verses against their readings by appealing to some broad verse about freedom, which takes a spiritual meaning in these contexts. Even in the Old Testament, God set captives free. But Leviticus 25 tells us that he did so that they could be his slaves. This type of general statement about setting captives free has nothing to do with the social institution of slavery. And fifth, the main Bible's main goal is spiritual redemption, not social reform. The Old Testament was not ideal. It was forward-looking to a better testament, which is the new. And thus, Frank seems to go back on his previous statements. Here, he seems to acknowledge that the Old Testament did indeed endorse the social institution of slavery, as the purpose of the Bible was not to provide social reform. If the Old Testament was not ideal... What is Frank saying about it? If he's appealing to passages like Matthew 19, where Jesus says that Moses allowed for divorce in the Mosaic law because of the hardness of their hearts, somehow trying to tie that to slavery as well, we would expect this New Testament to condemn the practice of slavery, which it emphatically does not. Christians, 
justified slavery using the Old Testament. My point is you can't be getting your morals from the Bible, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing you don't. It is not a good book. It is not. It is filled with embarrassingly bad commands Michael, that nobody today would obey. Michael, so What you've just seen is a spin doctoring of Scripture. Oh, they don't really mean slaves. They mean housekeepers. They were well kept. Baloney! If you want more insight into the spinning of scriptural slavery takes into baloney, then you should check out Dr. Josh's second edition of his brilliant book, Did the Old Testament Endorse Slavery? What's new in this second edition? Well, it has gone from around 200 pages to nearly 700, so it's a little longer. Basically, I wanted this edition to be a one-stop shop reference guide for anyone who wants to know about or debate slavery in the Old Testament. I've added a lengthy chapter on the law codes from the ancient Near East, including the famous Stele of Hammurabi, explaining what they were, how they functioned, and how they related to the laws of the Old Testament. The book has a lot of comparative data between the slavery laws in the ancient Near East and those in the Old Testament, but what the reader will probably find incredibly useful are the appendices, which contain every law about slavery from all of the ancient Near Eastern law collections, along with commentary on each. I'm really proud of it. All right. Well, you can find the link in the description to order your copy today. If you're an audiobook person, check out the first edition. And for more former Christians, take a look at the claims of Christians. Tap on the video on screen now, and I'll see you over there. Later.